Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the CDR Radio podcast. I'm James Careless, Ottawa Bureau Chief with Canadian Defence Review, Canada's leading defence magazine. This time on the CDR Radio podcast, we're speaking with Lorenzo Merendola. He is president of M1 Composites Technology in Montreal, Canada. M1 Composites provides a wide range of services for advanced composite and sheet metal aircraft structures, for all branches of the Canadian Armed Forces and our NATO allies. Hi, Lorenzo. Thanks for joining us on the CDR Radio podcast. How are you, James? Thank you so much for having me here today. Let's begin with a quick overview of M1 Composites. Can you tell me a bit about the company? For sure. I'd uh, I'd love to let you in on what M1 is and what we do. M1 uh, started it back in 2012, 2013. Actually went operational in 2013 with a staff of about three people. Never thought that we'd be, uh, we'd be close to actually over 100 employees now. And we, at the time, were, were there to be able to manufacture, repair, and engineer uh, race car components. And that eventually turned around into uh, supporting major commercial airline here in Canada to be able to do all their, uh, their repairs for them. So... Like I mentioned, started with three employees or over 100 now. And, uh, you know, the volume of parts is uh, becoming more and more. And then in 2015, one of my uh, one of my contacts in the United States uh, strongly recommended that I should come back to the military side. And he got my interest going. And so we uh, we started looking at doing more military parts. So that's that's how we uh, we got into or I got back into the military side of uh, working on weapon systems. On the commercial side, we specialized in the cells, radomes, flight control surfaces, and really any problem that the airline can bring to us. Uh, we became, hey, we've got a problem. M1 became that one-stop shop where we turned things around quickly and we were able to get the problem uh, solved for them. It also exposed me to another side of uh, having been used to the, uh, the, the F-18 and working on the military side prior to starting M1. It got me used to the uh, the Transport Canada aspect of it. So we got our Transport Canada approved maintenance organization and also our design approval organization. So that, for people that know it for short, is uh, the AMO and the DAO for composite structures. So that took us a long way in terms of being able to do the repair work. And then that followed on with a lot of other approvals. ISO 9001, AS9100 for manufacturing, AS9110 for repair, CASE for repair as well for all the other airlines. And then slowly, slowly, we started realizing that, hey, uh, it's not just the airlines that need our services, the OEMs need it as well. And I think where the OEMs got that was because where others were looking at how do I get around the OEMs, I actually worked with the OEMs, sometimes going against them and telling them that, no, this can't be done this way and should be done an alternate way to be able to support the operators and the airlines, bringing that piece to uh, the OEMs. Having worked for the OEMs in the past, uh, Bombardier, Pratt & Whitney, and L3, I saw what, you know, the challenges they had. And then 
when I was on the other side of the fence, I saw the challenges that the operators had. So trying to find the middle grounds and make everybody happy, really. Now, M1's main business is in commercial aviation, but is it true that you're growing your services to the defense industry? That's been coming about. It's, it's taken a long time. In terms of being able, it, it goes for both uh, both sides. If you're commercial and trying to go military, or if you're military and trying to go commercial, it's got its, um, its set of challenges. For us, we, we, we started off, M1 was primarily a commercial, commercial airline uh, supporter, and uh, we're now looking at doing more and more military work, and largely it was a vision that I had from the beginning, so it's approximately uh, from 2015 when I first started getting back into military to now, so eight years ago. It's a, it's a steep climb to be able to do, and one of the things that with the military is the fact that it's not enough to have the accreditations, the approvals. It's really your reputation. I could take my Rolodex and give it to someone and say, here, here, here you go. Here's all the business. Give these guys a call and they'll give you business. In reality, it's who's the person? Who are they dealing with? Can the organization do what they say they can do? And even at that, a lot goes with your relationships and your ability to find solutions quickly for them. And it is a big mountain to climb. Now, can you tell us a bit about some of the defense projects M1 has worked on so far? Well, um, M1 has worked on uh, the CP-140. We've also worked on the CT-114. We've worked on the Chinook, the CH-147. And on the military side, on the U.S. side, we've worked on the A-10 on several projects. We've Basically, we've, we're, we've been brought in when there are issues that they're having, they need it resolved quickly. Also working on the Chinook on, on uh, several components that they need support on quickly. So we provide them rapid turnaround time with solutions and parts when needed and repairs when they need. And that's uh, directly with Boeing. And also when we look on the uh, the, the, uh, the US side, it's on the A-10. We've worked on uh, something as simple as electrical covers to uh, flight surfaces, sort of like the, the elevators on the uh, on the A-10. And really what that's doing is opening the doors to other programs because a lot of what you see on one aircraft, you're going to see on others. It's just that when you're working in the United States, it can be a little complex in the sense that you need a SAR approval to be able to be approved to actually work on the part. So what is your strategy when it comes to the defense sector and what do you offer? When I look at the strategy, if I look at the, the defense sector, a lot of it is our country plays a big role in it. By our country, I mean Canada plays this huge role because if Canada buys what we're offering, then it encourages other countries to be able to buy from us as well. And the message that I'd like to be able to really make clear is Canada needs its manufacturing. Canada needs a sustainment that is Canadian and that can take care of its own aircrafts to ensure that we have a sovereign a capability and that we can actually perform the engineering, the manufacturing, the repairs to be able to support the aircrafts that we have. The OEMs are definitely, you know, they're definitely able to provide a lot of that, but Canada does need its own sovereign uh, solution on that. So for us, it's to be able to start off with uh, the RCAF, to be able to do as much as we possibly can with them, and then also to be able to sell to other countries. One of our key points is the readiness portion. Now, we understand the issues, not just understanding the repair, not just understanding the manufacturing of the part, but I ask my engineers and I ask my people to get interested, get interested in what the mission is. 
What is the warfighter going up against? Why is your part important? And at times I feel that, you know, we lose sight of where our part plays a larger part in the whole story in the sense of, you know, someone might say, you know what, I'm working on a landing gear door. It's not that important. Well, if that landing gear door opens up while we're in flight, we've got a problem. So that is as important as the pilot is doing. So it's, it's you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. In terms of on the sustainment part, the in-service support of the legacy weapon systems, let's face it, everybody would like to have the latest and greatest and have a new aircraft. It's so, almost like someone that says, I've got a new car every three, four months, but that's not possible. And what we do is we, we're, we're able to provide in-service support to the legacy weapon systems, as well as those new aircrafts. And the third point that I'd like to be able to mention is the strengthening part, the strengthening. So we've got the readiness, the sustainment part, the strengthening part. On the strengthening part is to be able to look at the uh, systems that we have, to be able to modify them, to be able to modernize the Canadian uh, weapon systems, to be able to complete the missions, to be able to have something that's reliable, and also to be able to gather data. Data is extremely important to be able to see which parts break, how they break, and the whole logistics of having the right spares in the right locations. And to keep in mind that once the warfighter is in in another country or elsewhere, you may not have that uh, sustainment structure that's, that's nearby. So you need to be able to forecast what parts you need, what tools you need to be able to uh, and what training you need to be able to get that repair done, as well as taking how the parts break and bringing it right back to the OEM or right back to N1 to be able to see how do we make it better? How do we make it where we can repair it easily? Or how do we make it where it lasts longer so that uh, our warfighter isn't going to be in harm's way for too long? So you qualify as a small business, even though you've grown quite a lot. So what are your challenges as a small business in terms of getting more defense work within Canada? And what is it like dealing with the federal government's procurement process? Small business. Yes, we are a small business. You know, 100 employees is still considered a small business. And it is challenging because what we have to understand is one of my great mentors once told me, uh, he mentioned the fact to me that a big business or, you know, a big uh, corporation has lots of money but you can get to it. A small business doesn't have all that money, but you can get to it. And so we're that small business. And when we look at that, for us, it's important to be able to get into the military, to be able to have success here in Canada before being able to sell to uh, foreign countries and being able to use some of the, you know, the, the great ideas that we have here in Canada and put them out there. If I look at Canada being the size that it is and I compare it to Sweden, being the size that they are, well, you know, Saab makes their own aircrafts. We don't make our own fighters, and, and that's fine. But what we need to do is be able to give the small businesses that opportunity to be able to develop a sovereign sustainment ecosystem. And for us, the challenge that we've had is the fact that on the procurement side is that Canada, unlike the United States, Canada doesn't have a small business office. Canada basically gives the contracts to primes and the primes then basically are to give up to 15% of the work to SMEs. The only thing is it becomes extremely challenging. And we saw during COVID situation brought about all the problems and all the solutions that can come with it, 
Well, during COVID, we had capability and capacity that we were working on the commercial side and the commercial was shut down. So our sales went down 75%. Whereas on the military side, they hardly felt it. Now, going back to that procurement process is that if Canada purchases a weapon system from, you know, the Boeings, the Lockheeds, the other OEMs of this world, then there's a portion of that of that work that needs to flow back to the SMEs. The only thing is that that doesn't always happen. And so you're not developing your manufacturing. You're not developing your repairs. You're not developing your engineering to be able to support that at an SME level. Now, why is that important? Because remember what we said before, SMEs are, are smaller, they're more agile. The decisions get taken here locally in Canada. We can develop a lot quicker. Now, that's not to say that the OEMs can't do that. But for us, it's important that those primes that Canada does give the contracts to continue to feed the SMEs. And if we don't do that, we're not giving the work to the Canadian SMEs and we're giving it to others. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but we're doing what they did with the Avro Arrow back in the 50s all over again. And that, that to me is, is very hurtful and very painful as a Canadian and a taxpayer where we can't or we, we choose not to be able to go direct between the SMEs and D&D. So for us, it's, you know, we're waiting for the, 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 uh, the primes to be able to offer some work. And usually the work that we're given is work that they, you know, not, don't always have the time to do or don't want to do or whatnot. And not all the primes behave in this way, but a majority of them would say, hey, you know what, I can get done uh, what you can do in Canada. I can do anywhere else in the world. You're right. And one actually said, why should I give work to Canada? And my response to that was, because we're buying planes, because we're giving you a lot of money to be able to do this. So the the uh, the exchange side is that we're doing this work in Canada. And I'm going to tell you, from a lot of the SMEs that I, I see, we're eager to be able to help Canada. We're eager to be able to help D&D in providing them the solutions quickly. And if I compare it to the United States, where I can go and I could submit a proposal to the U.S. Air Force, whereas here in Canada, I can't. I have to go through a prime. I'd like there to be some sort of halfway or way of controlling the amount of work that they give to the SMEs. And that, not just M1, but there's a lot of small businesses out there that, that would be able to benefit. And, you know, we would have been able to keep some of those businesses that we lost during COVID. Well, given this and given your experience, what needs to change in the defense procurement process so that Canada can grow its aviation industry to help support our defense capabilities better? If we're spending over $25 billion this year, that's a lot of money. And I'll give you an example. If you'd have the money and you'd think of building a $10 million house, I think you'd hire your own person to be able to do the contracting and to be able to do the project management, right? So when I look at that, uh, what we would need is more procurement agents, more people that are, are going to be looking after the, this, all the spending that we're doing and to be able to make sure that at, at the end of the year, just sort of like, you know, when you complete your tax forms, you need to pay your taxes at the end of the year. We're all happy to do so because we're, we're helping to contribute to the Canadian economy and help Canada and, and all the citizens. But at the same time, I think you, you need the right amount of procurement agents so that it's not only the primes that would be able to get, you know, we go per weapon system and it's just the primes. I think what we need to do is 
have sort of like a small business set aside where we're given the opportunity, a fair opportunity to actually do the work. And that is how you're going to motivate the young people that are coming out of universities and out of schools to start businesses and to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel where they feel that even if they were to start a business, this would work. As opposed to right now, well, they say, well, look, I mean, really, it always goes to the primes. And if the primes decide to give me something, then it's great. If the primes don't give me anything, then there's no way for me to work for Canada. And that's how the interest starts to fall off. And I, and I believe that we, we owe it to the next generations where we give them a chance. We give them an opportunity. I think the, uh, the value proposition uh, policy that we came up with in 2014 was amazing. We just need to find a way to implement it and control it now to be able to make it go forth. Now, is it accurate to say that M1 is on a growth trajectory? And if so, what are your plans for the coming years? We're definitely on a growth trajectory. Um, when I first started with three employees, I figured, you know, we'll get up to 15, 20 employees and stop there. But the work kept coming and the requests kept coming. And for me, it's uh, I, I don't grow it because of uh, sales figures or whatnot. And one is completely a uh, sole proprietorship and it's a Canadian company. And I, I care about Canada a lot and I care about North America, I care about the United States to be able to support them as well. So when I look at our trajectory, it's always been we're hiring people not to be able to say that we're hiring people. We're hiring people because we've got the projects. And the other thing that I'd like to be able to mention is the projects that we bring in here at M1 are interesting. I feel that it's not an interesting project. It's not challenging both to the engineering mind and to the technicians that are working on it, it'll be difficult to be able to motivate people to do things. And if I look at, you know, when we're talking about growth trajectory, the challenges that we're having in terms of being able to find employees and whatnot, um, you've got to be able to offer them more than just a job. And if someone's looking for a job, I always say, go find one because you're not going to find one here. What you will find at M1 is passion. What you will find at M1 is you're never working on the same project, the same part, uh, over and over again, unlike, you know, some of the others that make the same part over and over again, we're working on rotorcrafts, we're working on fixed wing, we're, uh, we're bringing all these great projects to fruition and we're bringing them to Canada and Muslim, you know, and, and to Laval and, and all those that want to work here. So what we're looking for is passionate people, people that have a passion for the aerospace industry, people that like to be able to say at the end of the day, hey, you know what, I did that. Because everyone that works here at M1 brings their flavor to the table. And for us, I mean, it's the, the inclusion portion of it, the diversity portion. You walk into M1, it's you're walking into the United Nations. Color doesn't matter to us. And uh, what's a color, religion or whatnot, that doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is what you have in your head in terms of the smarts and what you have in your heart in terms of the goodwill to be able to, to do things right, to do the right thing. So do you credit all these qualities uh, for your success so far? Absolutely. I think it, it's always been that. It's always been do the right thing. It's always been, if you're going to do something, do it right. If you're going to do something, like, you know, everything from, you know, working at home or whatnot, do it safely, do it right. But don't do it half and half and try to, you know, to try to get away with it. Think about what, what it is that you're doing. And that's what I tell my team all the time. Think about it plan it, execute it correctly, and control what it is that you're doing. So that by control, I mean, ensure that whatever it is that you are doing is per your plan and, and, and go with that. Because I feel that that's the way 
that we it, it's gotten us this far. And uh, for us, I mean, our our being able to give that agility and that dedication to our customers. I think if you don't have the passion, you won't want to do it, right? It's if you're tired with what it is that you're doing, then you, know, you need to leave. You need to do something else. But our success is, is definitely due to the, the people that we have here, that diversification. Everybody brings a different angle to the table. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted those that came to work at M1, that came to bring their passion to the table, although it could be a completely different angle than what, what I have or what others have, but you need to be able to listen so that you get better and you improve on that. Final question. You took M1 to Cansec 2023. How did the show go for you? I think Cansec was uh, was a big success as a whole. I think uh, I've never seen that parking lot full where there was no no other parking spots left. It's now become, uh, I think it's almost like outgrown the EY Center where you don't have enough place to be able to put boots anymore, which is a good thing. And uh, I also believe that look at the amount of people that Cansec got from abroad. I mean, there's people from all walks of life and military from all over the world. And you had OEMs, the, the leaders of those OEMs were there. I think it did a lot. And I think it brought it brought a lot of goodness to, to, to industry. The other thing that I'd like to mention as compared to, you know, what I've seen for other uh, sh- other shows, while they've got the, the, the floor the, that has opened up the exposition, they're also doing conferences upstairs or doing conferences at another location and that takes away from those that are exposing whereas cansec doesn't have that cansec's got yeah they've got their b2b's but it's really a business to business and a business to government type of environment where that two days is really devoted to those that uh, are participating to those that have paid to be there and you know over the 10,000 attendees that were there our booth was extremely busy, uh, and and so was a lot of you know many others had the same thing. Although I've, I've seen a change a little bit from the first time that I've I've been in the, the mid two thousands to now, it's changed quite a bit. You see the products have changed a lot, and I, I think we've gotten a whole lot better at doing it. And what I'd like to be able to end with is I believe that Cansec is the platform where Canada can sell to other nations, and Canada's got a lot to offer. We've got a lot of in the universities, the the, the, the CHEPs, the colleges here. We produce a lot of smart people. We produce a lot of good people. And that is the forum where you can promote that youth. You can promote, uh, promote a lot of that talent and also promote the companies that are there to be able to show the rest of the world what it is that we can do. And we've got, you know, we've got another good thing happening is the fact that the United States uh, plays a major role in there as well. They were very present more present than I've seen them in the past. Okay. Well, look, Lorenzo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, James. I greatly appreciate it. You've been listening to the latest in the CDR radio podcast series. They are produced by Canadian Defense Review, Canada's leading defense magazine. I've been speaking with Lorenzo Marandola. He is president of M1 Composites Technology. To hear more CDR radio podcasts, go to CanadianDefenseReview.com or find us on iTunes and Google Play under CDR Radio. I'm James Careless. Thank you for listening to the CDR Radio podcast. Talk to you again next time. Tune in next time for another Canadian defense-focused podcast from CDR Radio.